I'm introducing Chuan uh, Ryushin, Friedrika Wasabin. Chuan uh, means uh, blessed circle, and uh, Ryushin means noble heart. And last night we completed uh, Dharma transmission for Chuan uh, and for her partner Nanzan, who will speak on Monday morning. Uh, on the back of the Rakasu that I described to him, it says joyous occasion. <laughs> this is a joyous occasion. So uh, just very briefly, because uh, her biography is extensive, uh, Juan and Nanzan are the priests and teachers at uh, Wind and Clouds Sangha in Gittorf, uh, Northern Germany, very far in the peninsula between uh, the North Sea and the Baltic. Uh, beautiful country, name of beautiful place. Uh, she is a palliative care oncologist and she, Nantan, have also created this uh, really unique hospice program and also a hospice facility uh, in Gettorf and uh, She's a person of many skills and talents. And I'm also pleased to note that uh, Kaz Tanahashi is with us in the, in the Zendo. He's the person that connected us. Mm -hmm. And she's worked with Kaz for many years, uh, helping him with his workshops in Germany and also as a translator of Dogen into German. So. Thank you all. Uh, for your very kind invitation for the generous occasion uh, to talk here in this amazing Zendo. You know, every time I think of the Zendo at home, which you heard is uh, some miles away, I get a heartbeat raise. It's such an amazing place of um, where the light and the solidity of the craftsmanship and the synergy of the spacing and the history of these many people who have been here and also, of course, of the founders uh, come together and um, yeah, it uh, has a bit of a magic. So if you, as you have heard, my name is Juan and uh, please excuse my English. <laughs> First of all, I would we would like to thank everyone who has been supporting us during this week, um, during this transmission week, who has cooked for us, made room, took over our chores and uh, cooked these uh, delicious meals. You know, as caretakers, we are not used to it, um, but it, it felt really good. <laughs> and uh, thank you all to Carol and to Shosan Victoria Austin for helping and assisting, but most of all, of course, to um, Abbot Hosan Roshi, who made all this possible and much more. And to Lori, you know, every time we talk to Lori or write to her, she gives the Bodhisattva's response. You have someone among you who carries her heart very close to her eyes, ears, nose, tongue, hand, feet. Oh, you're very lucky. 
Yeah. Before I start, I would just briefly like to um, say, you know, how how could this happen? How did we get here? And I think it's, um, you know, when you enter a spiritual path, it's always a good um, idea to, at a certain point, ask yourself, is how I'm doing right now still in alignment with, with the intentions that brought me here? Uh, so we both started sitting in the 80s with Schwester um, uh, Ludwigis from the Sambukiodan lineage. Uh, she got us started and right on the first, our first encounter, she turned me around. There was no way back uh, after that. <laughs> and uh, when we came to a point, maybe after 10 years or so, um, that the, um, there was a gap we couldn't bridge between Seshin experience and our daily life experience, which at that time was uh, you know, a young doctor challenging um, schedule. Uh, so we were looking for something um, for practice place with a more regular op uh, of offer and eventually monastic training. And uh, Japan was out of reach at that time because it was clear we would have needed to work uh, at a certain extent. So we turned to the US. Um, and in one of those monastic places on a, a weekend in early February, Kazuaki Tanahashi came to us uh, and with him the universe of the brush. And if I would have had any questions I had or gaps in my, um, on my spiritual path, they were, they fell into place. Yeah, it was an entire new landscape I had always uh, suspected to be there, but couldn't access. And with him came uh, Dogen with a brush. <laughs> Dogen. And you know, you read Dogen or you read Dogen. And this, of course, was an entirely different experience and continues to be so. And over the last uh, 20 years, Kazuaki has taught us life and brush life and Zen life. <laughs> visited our Sangha often and um, we translated Dogen, as you have heard a little bit, and published a book on Ryokan. So um, we were then invited on the occasion of the publication of the Shobogenzo, a work he did over decades with San Francisco Zen Center. And on the evening before the event, I was asked to give a talk there. There was a reception at um, Green's restaurant and we felt a little bit displaced. You know, we were lay then, came right from work and there were all these Zen icons. <laughs> and, and then one person addressed us, so how many sashids do you sit with? And at that time we were totally into medicine and building up our Sangha, so zero sashid, and he walked off and but then um, someone approached us who didn't seem to mind that we were foreigners, nobodies, whatever. He was curious and open and he didn't seem to want anything from us, as you can imagine. And above all that, 
he was uh, offering to see us in Germany. His name was Ozan, as you can imagine. So another Enzo unfolded until this very day. Ozan has taught our Sangha, visited us often, given, given, uh, he gave Jukai to a number of our Sangha members and has taught both of us in uh, every possible way. Yeah. Um, our professional life, as you have heard, is basically um, being with people who are in challenging and extreme situations, immunocompromised with the limited lifespan. And we are incredibly grateful for these encounters, as challenging as it might be. However, as you know, on the rim of things, you see more clearly, you know, at the blood smear, you look at the thin parts to distinguish the cells and make the diagnosis. So we were forced by our dear patients to be as clear as we can, as honest as we can, and to stay with all elements of our practice. With our, with our, our patients have been our marketplace. <laughs> and of course, without them and without our dear Sangha, who is 20 years old now, we wouldn't be here also. And still, Hosan has mentioned it, you know, after a while, we thought where we live is like the anti-Bay area. <laughs> yeah. So we knew by then all Zen Buddhists, <laughs> um, we need to say something more. And we founded a nonprofit organization which um, educates uh, volunteers to uh, be with uh, dying people not nursing, not medical, but on a uh, social and psychological level to attend to that bucket list that needs attention and care. Because also in our rural area, you know, there are less and less large families, much more single uh, households. And we do bereavement work, we do social counseling, uh, ethical advice, and we have this sweet project of hospice dogs. Still, we felt, uh, you know, not everyone can stay at home in such a, a difficult situation. So uh, we, as you've heard, 20 months ago, opened this hospice house with um, eight beds for adults and two for children. So that's about our lives, sort of. And um, looking at the common thread, you know, for ourselves, for our patients in our volunteer work, fear came up yeah and this is what i would like uh, to talk about uh, today um, fear is an emotion that we um, experience when we feel threatened and obviously in this illnesses this is the case but fear is also an emotion we we come up with in our practice right and also i thought well it seems that in this time fear or there's more fear in the air than there used to be. Um, you know, we have this still ongoing pandemic where encounters we carelessly did can be potentially uh, contagious. We in Europe have this um, brutal war going on on our continent. 
you know, with medieval ways, people are being slaughtered. And, you know, German, I was, we were brought up with never again. And now it's happening like three hours away from us. And um, it's ongoing, it's going to take longer. And we can feel the implication, we could feel the implications of it the very next day, you know, it started on February 24th, and increasingly so. So that's intimidating. Well, fear is a basic emotion, and it's good that we have it, because that's what brought us here. You know, it's a, a survival mechanism. When the predator is after us, we better run. So uh, it's deeply ingrained in our matrix. And the Buddha called this skillful, skillful fear. Uh, natural and a good instinct situation might be a little bit delicate, so we make a step back. Obviously, there's also unskillful fear. Now, you know, it's in my words, the fear without the tiger, at least the visible tiger. And this is what I would like to talk about. It's an emotion, and obviously, it, you know, emotions um, cannot be addressed, or it's hard to uh, address them um, intellectually. You know, you cannot say to a child, and often fear is a young part in us that has fear, don't be afraid in, in front of the dark aisle. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. In Buddhism, we distinguish five uh, basic fears. They all have to do something with loss, loss of life, like fear of death, uh, loss of um, um, health, fear of uh, illness, fear of losing your mind, um, fear of losing your possessions, and fear of public talking. I can relate <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, when it's defined, it's old. So it's not something we need to blame ourselves for. It's something that's deeply ingrained in us. Uh, yet, fear is one of the basic uh, reasons for our suffering. And um, of course, the Buddha also said, you know, it's a transient emotion, just like everything else. But wouldn't it be nice if, um, you know, we didn't always have to simmer through that fear and just wait until it passes, which of course, eventually it, uh, it will. Um, yeah, so, um, fear of loss, fear of uh, falling, at the, because at the same time in Buddhism, you know, fearlessness is a highly uh, ranked quality. If you only uh, think about the, um, the early koans, you know, in the Mumon Khan, Kyogen on that branch, and he was already tired and let his arms go and was just clinging with his teeth and then the tiger below was already licking his uh, lips. And then he was asked this life and death question. And what do you do? You have to open your mouth. Or how do you move forward on that 100 foot pole? 
So fear of falling. Um, um, develop, like uh, the scientists say that this is one of our, of, concerning primates, one of the basic fears, you know, in the orangutan, in the tree, when he fell, that was it. So falling is also something we have deep inside. It's nothing wrong that we are respectful towards it. Yet, aren't we always falling? You know, every zazen we are falling and we're losing. Um, Shunryu Suzuki uh, said that, you know, we are in life, we go out on this large ocean and we are in this boat and the boat will sink. So that's true. Eventually, someone will lean over us and ask, you know, how are you doing this morning? Have you already taken your morning medication? And uh, further down the line, we will be in the horizontal. So obviously, we will lose and we will fall. And that you know, it can be intimidating at the same time in our Zazen practice. That's what we do. Um, we become one with. In Zazen, you know, if you just think, um, there's a place where, oh, that's just, it itches, you know, it just itches so much. And then secretly you, and then one minute later, left knee itches. And so it goes. And miraculously enough, at the end of the period when the bell rings, it's all gone. So, or you have, um, and you've all experienced it, there are um, moments in Zazen where you can no longer define the physical boundaries, your own, our own, uh, where you seem to, you know, extend to the room or you travel in a second to your childhood, you are in that home kitchen, you look at that pattern on the wall and you're small and the perspective and you're being told something, next moment you're somewhere else. So obviously we're always floating and making ourselves in a way acquainted to this um, motion. Because for fear, you know, in my modest and really limited experience, it's just one way. You go right into it. You fall into it. And you take it all on. The, um, the sorrow and the grief, um, the sadness and the loss, the shame and the guilt, um, the regret, and also the subtle beauty that is also entained in the grief and the suffering. There's a very soft place there, which we can visit like a sweet garden every now and then. And we invite that in. And with every period of Zazen, you know, we let it sink in a little bit deeper 
until it has entered every cell. And then we have melted the fear, we have straightened out and merged. And it's, it's of course, it's endless because then there comes another emotion, um, but we practice it. And every Zazen period, a small laser light goes on until, you know, after a couple of years, it's a little bit more light in the room. So uh, this is what the, the magic of our practice provides to us. And here in this room, and I would also say a, um, a very uh, well-working antidote against fear is a Sangha because we are all in this together here. And I mean, in here in this room, you can do everything. No one is looking except from Sojourn is looking. <laughs> Happy birthday, Sojourn. But um, as you all know, he would have supported you. Um, there's hardly ever a more forgiving uh, community than a Sangha and a more forgiving object than a cushion because it's always waiting for you. And if you have slept through that period, you're invited again. So we practice this and uh, become familiar with being um, larger and smaller and finer and um, someone else maybe, you know, because it's a little bit boring to always be ourselves tell our stories over and over again and this practice asks from us to expand and to be curious and to invent and to create and to you know enlarge as Dogen said in his Genjo Koan you know, we, we get larger and we shrink according to our um, to the situation we encounter and the Buddha was a he was such a scientist because he he taught us all these various steps we could um, examine mm, before we left you know that was one of these moments uh, there's uh, still um, a lot of media coverage over the um, upcoming winter time and the shortage in liquid gas you know, because Germany heavily dependence on energy from Russia and um, that, you know, it's going to be really expensive, like four times up. And if, if it's ever going to be there, uh, it's going to be maybe not for every household and media, they live on fear. So there I sit in my T-shirt uh, on a beautiful summer night outside you know, birds and grass and it's quiet and to really get tense, oh, and fear is vague. You know, that's what it also lives by, that, that vagueness, something is happening. So, and you conjure up and then you, uh, I um, uh, was reproachful. Why these politicians and why and cold? We might have to close the Zendo again. We just started and, you know, might have money and all that until and this is where practice co comes in uh okay cold now I, I might have to say i hate being cold 
miserable. And I also maybe should say that where we live, as Hosan mentioned, you know, that's about middle British Columbia. So it's Oof. north. Yeah, our, our summers are just amazing. Long, light winters, you know, it can be dark by 2 p.m. You're cold, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then to think, okay, we might have to uh, accept socks in the zendo, maybe a scarf. Um, we might have to work a little bit more for the, you know, for the heating. But we were used to work, and actually we like work. I might have to exercise more that to keep myself warm. That's actually a good thing. So to demask that process, and then summer night. It goes so fast in two seconds. And also, um, you know, all spiritual teachers from St. Benedict to the Buddha have emphasized that this practice starts with the body. So to look at, actually, because it's both ways, we have a body sensation and out of that we react or something happens and we have a body sensation. As with fear, you know, we all know we get tense, heart rate goes up, head gets light, we are a little bit warm and tense. But if we look at it, um, for those of you who are into sports and velocity, you know, if you do, uh, what's it, downhill skiing or you know, we think in California, everyone goes surfing. So you know what I mean? <laughs> um, same reaction, you know, heartbeat goes up and, and you get excited and but same body reaction. Or on a more subtle level, you know, falling in love. And you also go, so could we same? it's a similar body reaction, isn't it? Could we relabel fear before we love? I mean, just think about it. You know, we always use the same ways and can, and this practice, you know, offers us the entire easel to, uh, to try it out. And with every period, we get a new sheet of, of paper to attend to. I would like to address um, also two, um, one assumption and two antidotes. Uh, and the assumption maybe first. So we fear, the Buddha said, we fear uh, because in the face of impermanence, you know, we don't like that flowers fall. And of course that's right. But I think nowadays, a couple of centuries later, it's um, wise to address that we also fear something like our inadequacy, that we might not be able to respond to whichever changed situation there might be. Um, because we have this, you know, since we've eaten that apple, <laughs> uh, we have this problem that we always try to justify why we're here. Um, and Suzuki 
try to take that from us, but still we do it because he said, you know, it's okay, just being here is fine. Um, so to look at, you know, what's my assumption about this situation? Why do I feel I couldn't handle it? And then act out because what happens, as you all know, if we then respond in a reflex, we position ourselves in opposite and we harm ourselves and others. Fear causes war internally and externally. And again, about inadequacy and our zazen practice, you know, we get accustomed with so many situations, emotions, uh, moments in just in our zazen practice um, that we step by step gain confidence. And think about if you extend the zazen practice to the floors, you know, I read here also, like in our sangha, there are some people who say, I can't sing. And then you're assigned <laughs> and slowly, yeah, get a voice. Um, we have someone in our sangha, she was convinced, you know, if you make me do this, I'm out. So we waited 10 years, I think. <laughs> and now, you know, it's almost like a Bach cantata. <laughs> Yeah, so we go slowly, take ourselves by the hand, and that's an antidote in itself. Yeah, and gratefulness, I would like to talk briefly about, because, you know, fear is an imperial emotion. It doesn't allow anything beside her or him. Yeah. And we need to equilibrate this fear with whatever we have. And gratefulness is always a good uh, advice, a wise medicine. You know, every time um, when I enter a room for, with my patients, whether it's in hospice or in hospital, you have to imagine, you know, they just gave up their house, their everything, and lie in bed, often younger than I am, hooked onto every possible assisted device. And um, you say, oh, how are you doing? To receive the broadest smile, often. You know, look at that sunshine. And I just had tea. It, I could taste it and it stayed in. You know, so gratefulness. There's immeasurable ways what we can feel grateful for, even in the midst of all the uh, major problems we are facing right now. And Zen teaches us too, because Zen is the art of learn, among other things. Of, of learning from small things, how you put the things on the altar, you know, how you treat the sink is how you treat ourselves. You know, that's what Dogen meant, pebbles and, uh, and bamboo and lanterns. They are all um, our guests and they come forward. They, they are the 10,000 things 
ready to, to help us and to be learned from once we move a little bit out of the way. We can um, be with them. And um, the next antidote, I think, is some, um, something like uh, hope and confidence. You know, hope and confidence, hope is maybe not so well looked at in Zen practice because, and it, it has a reason, hope for something better, you know, something later in life, something like fear, you know, fear is seldom something right now. We fear what might be. If it's fear right now, then this is skillful fear. So that's another clue. Um, but, and Pema Chudun, she was right when she said, we have to give up all hope uh, in order to come to a radical acceptance of our life. And yet, and yet, you know, aren't we hopeful when we sit down in you know, this period? We're going to. <laughs> and isn't there an incredible amount of uh, confidence in this practice, in this place, in the, uh, the service, in the offerings, you know, in, in so many ways. And, you know, we um, vow to go, to enter all these Dharma gates, even though they are uh, countless. That's the ultimate confidence. Yeah. Um, the, the founder of the uh, Lutheran Church, you know, Martin Luther, at his time, he, uh, this is 16th century, he was famous for saying, and there was revolutionary at that time, you know, if I knew the world would perish tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. And for his time, where everything was so focused on the then and the, the heaven, this was something to say. A couple of uh, centuries later, and as bodhisattvas, you know, we are asked to plant that apple tree today, even though we know the world will perish today. That's our practice over and over again. And that's the confidence we bring into um, step by step everything uh, we do. Out of the confidence we learn from our Zazen practice, which is so um, forgiving, you know, always waits. And we can um, always return, of course, to the main harbor and, um, you know, wooden pillar we have in us, the breath. Yeah, that's our all-time remedy. You call, can call it repentance, or you can call it returning to, always forgiving, always there and available, and mm, comfortingly solid and seemingly eternal, at least for as long as we are here. So we're not alone. 
Um, I would like to uh, close with a, a koan Nanzan found. It's uh, from Korea. And um, I think sums up some. Um, don't have it here. Um, some of it. The tiger fears the human heart. The human fears the tiger's kindness. So, um, yeah, you know, what is in us that makes an animal like the tiger who weighs probably everyone, everyone's weight together? <laughs> What's in us that makes him fear us? What is that destructive uh, potential we have? And can we look at it so that someone who is so, you know, such a beautiful speeches, which is about to disappear, uh, no longer has to fear us. And mostly, why does the human heart fear the tiger's kindness? Well, the tiger knows. The tiger knows about his element. He is in line with his circle of taking life and giving life, of coming and going. And he does, you know, in Dogen's word, where he says, um, you know, we are the, the birds in the sky and the fish in the water, and we have all this huge element, but the moment we leave it, we'll die. And obviously, uh, in some ways, we have left it. But not only environmentally, but also, and we can feel that, can't we? You know, the moment we have left it, it feels awful. So to go back and to remind ourselves what a large element we have in, we don't need to, to leave it. And it's uh, um, can be expansive, can be small, can be, we can completely disappear in it and we can bring us up again. Like in every Zazen period, you know, we experience all kinds of things and all of a sudden, oh, you know, ah, still there. My name is, oh, yeah. And then we exit, put in the gear and go on our ways. And on this continuum, we live of being whoever we are and making our decisions and having the choice to move to the other side and see things in a broader sense. And all this happens on this small space. Um, and of course, together with uh, Sangha. And um, I think we can be very lucky, even though we are in deep trouble. <laughs> so nothing to fear about. Thank you very much. Would you like to take some questions from people yes, in sure. yeah. and people online?
Yes, please. Mm -hmm. My name. Thank you very much. Um, I'm interested in knowing, even though it may be too soon to ask this question about how this whole last week is landing with you and you're maybe still digesting. Could, could you say something about what it's been like this last week? Yeah. It's been joyful. Uh, felt like, you know, uh, closing or finishing the circle and almost immediately starting another one. Um, just about. And the image itself, I don't see. Like I can only see it's the beginning, first movement of the brush, if you say. Um, and there's responsibility. And, um, but also there's confidence that a little bit and break down too, whether, you know, I will be able to live up to that, um, to continue and to be to adjust to the different faces and um, you know particularly from for my life the uh, practice will show and um, up to now there were times where it was sometimes difficult to um, hold my landscape <laughs> so now uh, you know, Hosan said the robe will now cover everything. I uh, I'm confident this will happen. Yeah, and um, one more thing, maybe I didn't or we didn't so much uh, think about before. We have this connection to Berkeley Zen Center, but now it's a much stronger connection. Yeah. And that's really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I would like to go back to the Korean koan. And you said that the tiger feared the human's kindness. And I didn't really understand that. And I didn't know if you explained that, or at least I didn't get it. What is it that he fears? Our kindness? That we are kind? That we no. aren't kind? <laughs> no. I mean, to me, we aren't kind. The human fears the tiger's kindness. Human. Yeah. Tiger. The tiger is the kind one because he's the one who stays in his element. We fear him, which, of course, as you are right to say, it's not the first attribute we would. Uh, apply to a tiger, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and that's because he stays in his element. I think that's one possible answer. Yeah, because he knows. Um, he takes not what is not given. Uh, he knows his. Um, 
you know, he follows his dream and doesn't go out yeah, and takes um, and lets happen. You know, we always tend to interfere and to know better. However, you know, there is no better guide than nature and with all its wiseness, but we constantly correct and try to know better. And now we see where this brings us to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thank you for your talk and penetrating into fears. Mm -hmm. um, it's opened up some very sore places for me and um, and you talk about antidotes and one of them is gratitude. And can you say a little more about the other antidotes? I forget what they are now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, gratitude in the, but not about gratitude. That's one you remember, right? I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Sangha. Yeah. Yeah, because we're all in this together. Um, zazen, because you can always return to your breath. And of course, not only Zazen here in the Zendo, but also outside, because this is what we practice here in order to continue our meditation outside of the Zendo. Um, confidence and hope. Yeah. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, I'm very interested in your work, your medical work, and, and how it integrates with your practice. Um, coincidentally, my mom has uh, stage four cancer, and uh, my sister and I are taking good care of her. Also, coincidentally, she's from Germany, from mm -hmm. Vienna. And um, over the last several months, like, I've been aware or conscious of a very deep, a lot of deep learning and deep practicing or deep practice and, and deep insights through through supporting her, you know, filling out a form or helping her up and down the stairs or uh, helping her get dressed. There's, I'm aware of some deep transformation happening within me. And then I go home and I sit on my cushion and I try to maintain a formal, somewhat formal practice. Um, and I know there must be, but there's still a gap for me too between you know, my trying to maintain a semblance of a practice despite all the stress and everything. And then actually doing this work for her and finding it actually pretty spiritually uh, enriching. Um, but there's this gap. And I wonder if you could speak to that in your experience with other family members that are taking care of their loved ones. How, how can one sort of integrate the home practice with the service for one's Hmm. Well, I'm sure that Sojun, who, you know, always was Zazen, he would say, this is your practice. You know, helping her get dressed is your practice. And that's your Zazen practice. Zazen is not just sitting in the Zendo. 
um, that's actually or can be um, a relief, a pause, a break from the more uh, often more complex practice like the one you're doing. Emotionally, certainly, so because you, um, you know, normally the mother is taking care of the child and not at your age taking care of your mother. Usually that comes a couple of decades later. So, you know, and to um, feel what she's feeling and feel what you both are feeling in that, all the tenderness and the softness and the communication and the legacy she's giving you by letting her comb her hair and get her things. And um, that's your practice. It's about the very best practice you can do at this moment. And there's no, no better practice. And um, you know, there might even be a time where sitting still might be impossible or very hard. So, you know, we can always, always do walking meditation. And it doesn't have to be the way we do it here in the Zendo. It can be just coordinating because that's, you know, people might look and all that. But it can, uh, can be a little bit faster. You can hold your hands in shashu or don't. But you, the point is you um, harmonize your um, breath with your movement. That's walking meditation, basically, you know, and that can be very soothing because sometimes uh, moving is more soothing than sitting still. Um, and to, to the best of your both uh, abilities, um, make the most of the time you have. And, um, you know, not always that's like the ideal, the palliative care ideal that we get everything done and checked, but just being with her and um, going together and floating as long as you can. So that's your practice and you don't need a bridge because you you practice here, um, neither the Buddha nor Sojo nor she said we, sh we should leave it here. This, you know, Dogen has this triangle. This is our park position. And then we dive out. And, you know, we have to say something. That's what you do. Tend to her, and I'm sure, due to your practice, you know you've already modified the ways you are with her, and uh, uh, you see more um, use, uh, like uh, you know the soft uh, colors. Um, she's 
sending to you because language also changes and um, so um, you're doing the best you can and being a very good son she's certainly very proud of you and um, you know that's what this practice is about to become fully human so John called that mensch <laughs> yeah. that's why we're doing this here to apply it that's the bodhisattva's work and there is no right or wrong of course you might feel dense at times because we have also other lives right we need to get other things done um, and to that's actually the hard part to always balance is the hard part to try to equilibrate you know your other life work family whatever with what you feel time for your mother is needed and there might be an afternoon where you consciously say i'm staying at home and this is uh, for my children or whatever and um, she'll understand yeah the last thing she wants is to put away on you um, and then she will be happy you come again so to loosen your grip a little bit would be my recommendation. You have a question online from Kabir. Hi, thank you for your great talk. Yeah. Finding, uh, remembering gratitude and confidence in the midst of rage. Any, any tips or suggestions? Well, rage is, um, you know, the most pre prevalent emotion uh, I encounter in in my professional life is rage. <laughs> um, so, but what is below the rage? Fear uh, or grief, which they are related. So to look below the rage. Yeah, what is it that makes me fuel? Because, of course, also, as you know, children was very, <laughs> and he was furious at sometimes. So, but in the precepts, you know, it says not uh, staying there. Of course, you can, you can have a peak and then you cool again. But staying in that rage, and that rage has a loop, and you, you know, it's constantly, and then something else happens, and then you start all over again, and then you tell somebody, and the room is raging, and all that. So, um, to look below, what is the cause of the rage? And, you know, all the suffering in the world, my suffering. So, I think it's always good practice. You know, this is all about myself. It's not selfish you know, because the world is myself. So to own it in a way, because your question was the rage in terms of, in relationship to the turmoil. Now what turmoil? There's my inner turmoil. 
I vow to be coming. 